0: I was born in Austin, I was raised in Austin, but I grew up in the South Austin suburban bubble and I was very sheltered and we didn't go anywhere. When I was a senior in high school, I thought I was gonna go to Baylor, thought I was gonna go to Waco, but I was on a yearbook ad sales field trip because you gotta pay for those yearbooks somehow. And I was unleashed on South Lamar in downtown Austin, and I saw Birds Barber Shop, and I saw Waterloo Records and all these cool restaurants and shops and buildings that were so much bigger than anything in South Austin. And I thought to myself, why would I go to the armpit of Texas if I could stay right here in one of the best cities on Earth? I'm Eric Webb and this is I Love You So Much.
1: Welcome to I Love You So Much, the Austin 360 podcast, a show for everyone caught up in an ongoing love affair
2: with Austin, even if it's complicated. I'm your host, Tali Mosley.
3: I'm Omar Gayaga,
2: And I'm Addie Broyles, coming to you from the shores of Lady Bird Lake in the offices of the Austin American Statesman.
1: Clinton Kelly was the host of What Not to Wear for nine seasons, including in 2008, when he and his co-host Stacey London made over our own Addie Broyles. To celebrate the 10th anniversary of her appearance on the show, we are calling up Clinton to find out how the internet has changed fashion and how fashion changed
3: Addie. Laurel Kinney is a local social worker turned fashion stylist who uses her understanding of our inner psyche to help Austinites discover their own style.
2: On February 20th, The Greater Austin Black Chamber will host its second annual Taste of Black Austin. We chatted with Chamber President Tam Hawkins about why Austin needs an event to showcase the history of local African-American food businesses.
3: In this week's Web Report, Eric Webb tells us about what happened when singer Lana Del Rey took time from her touring to play soccer with some Austin kids this week.
1: And we'll conclude with a toast, a set of recommendations of
2: things we feel you should be checking out right now. Let's start with TV host, author, fashion and food expert, Clinton Kelly. Clinton, it's so great to have you on. I love you so much. How are you?
4: It's so great to hear your voice. I'm doing fantastic.
2: So thanks so much for making the time for us. It has (laughs) been 10 years, if you can believe it or not, where you came to Austin surprised me at the red eyed fly which is a club that no longer exists downtown and opened my eyes to a life changing fact that i was not really treating myself with the love and care that i needed to be that you know people Aww. people thought that one not to wear was a a fashion makeover show but what was it really
4: What not to wear was not about the clothes. I mean, I try to drill that into people's heads. It was about you taking responsibility over your own, taking responsibility for your own image, taking responsibility for the clothes that you put on your back and recognizing that you could make a great change in your life if that's something that you want based on your outward appearance.
2: Hmm. And so what do you remember about the before Addy and then maybe the after Addy?
4: Well, I remember your style sort of, I remember your clothes not fitting so much, and they sort of, you know, you had that sort of like flea markety, you know, um, thrift store kind of vibe going on, which is fine. More, more flea that. market
2: than thrift store. Early 2000s,
4: yeah. Austin. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, which is fine. I'm, you know, there's nothing wrong with the shopping at thrift stores or, or flea markets for that matter, but you have to make sure that you are creating a cohesive style out of it and, um, you know, that your clothes fit. I think that's pretty important. But, you know, the things I remember about you, I remember having, being able to have an intelligent conversation with you about style and some of the basic truths about society that you know that is that we are judged by our appearance Um, so you might as well play the game um, along with everybody else so that you can win it I also remember that you were very ambitious um, with a very clear vision of what you wanted to do with your life which I thought was very rare in all the episodes that I had done Hmm. of what not to wear like a lot of people were like just sort of you know, didn't have any, any game plan, really, but I felt that you really did have a plan. And I remember you being adamant about not changing your curls. Um, those are those are the three main things I remember about you.
3: That all sounds like Addie today. <laughs> sure.
2: <laughs> well, you were uh, very astute to pick up on those things and also to engage me at that level. I remember I really was resistant because I thought that by playing into that game, I was sort of letting society's beauty standards define me. And that I was kind of giving into the patriarchy by doing that. And that was a revel. I think you and I had that conversation specifically that you can still be a feminist and give a damn about your appearance.
4: Yeah. And I mean, so- they're definitely not mutually exclusive. I mean, you know, look, uh- we're human beings right but this is what human beings do they sum up other people by looking at them that's what we have that's probably how the species has survived mm-hmm. um to where it is today you know you, you look at another person you say to yourself is that the kind of person i want to i want on my team or are they the enemy you know and so <laughs> depending on what your goals in life yeah. are um you can you know be on somebody else's team or not
2: well and we tell a story not just with what the words yeah. that come out of our mouth or the words we type with our little fingers
4: Exactly. I mean, you know, it's the life is about nonverbal communication as much as it is about verbal communication, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, so like, just admit that clothing is a form of nonverbal communication.
2: And so you started at the Chew in 2011. So there were a couple of years, maybe where you were doing both what not to wear and hosting this food show. But people, I think, still come up to you and talk to you about what not to wear. And it's been off the air for a, a number of years now.
4: Oh, all the time. I you know, it doesn't help that TLC is still running reruns. Um.
2: People will come people will come up to me and say, I saw you on T V this weekend and that's how I, I know, know that my episode aired.
4: It's it's crazy, right? And P- I, I keep saying to people like be careful of taking fashion advice from a show that might have been taped over a decade ago. Like, <laughs> you know like, We're like, Don't wear those skinny jeans, those look ridiculous. You know, Yeah, um.
3: what at what point does it fashion out? Like well, what would,
2: yeah. well, let's talk about some logistics, like details about either the specific advice that you were giving in that show, because well, fashion does change, but some of the pieces of advice that you were giving are actually iconic and can stand the test of time. What are some of those general tips that you still tell people to make sure they think about when they go shopping and get themselves dressed?
4: Um, well, off the top of my head, fit is everything. If you don't have fit, you don't have style. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's never going to change. Um, that know, was my biggest are, problem. Yeah, I mean, you're just sort of big. taking stuff. Yeah, uh, everything was too big, and so when you look when you wear clothes that look too big, you end up looking sloppy. Um, that's just the way it goes. And if, when you end up when you wear clothes that are too tight, you end up looking like you you know squished yourself into something, and or you're you're um, delusional as to what your actual size is. Um, so <laughs> there's that. Um, you know, I think for for many years too, we harped on the color, texture, pattern, and shine. Mm. Um, concepts which is you know those are the the four components that make a woman's outfit interesting and so you need to really um uh, incorporate at least a couple of those into your outfit if you want to. If you want to look nice, mm-hmm. um, you know. And then I think the advice that we gave to women over—I'm going to—I'm using air quotes—and I say this like women over a certain age, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, that still holds true. Meaning that you know you don't necessarily want to look like you're chasing trends because that's what 22-year-olds do. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but you want to still look as though you're uh, paying attention to what's going on in the world. And so you, when you are going to do a trend, pair it with a more classic piece. So. I think things like that will always remain true, but mm-hmm. like the, you know, what cut of jean, you know, whether it's you know it's like <laughs> low rise, high rise, medium <laughs> rise, boot cut, skinny jean you know that that I think dates the show the most. Like, yeah where are these jeans
2: in though? my own wardrobe, Clinton? It's been, it's been hard to keep up over the years of trends. I, know. I was just it's wearing work. chevron. I was wearing chevron pattern the other day, and somebody was like, "Oh, chevron is so three years ago," and I just was mortified because I realized is that- Is chevron
4: three years ago? Oh, please! I don't. Whoever who who told you that? Need to somebody
2: not as talented as you, apparently. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Chevron's Chevre- <C.C>. London.
2: <laughs> so, okay, you have transitioned into the food world. What are you enjoying most about being part of the Chew? Pretty soon you're going to be doing that show longer than you did What Not to Wear.
4: I know. It's crazy. So I did What Not to Wear for nine seasons over the course of ten years. I'm in season seven now of the show. Um, You know, professionally, it's it's more fun to shoot than... what not to wear like it's just mm-hmm. you know what not to wear as you well know was a solid week of shooting for what are 42 minutes worth of television um oh which God, is exhausting. a nightmare That's, yeah. yeah and here it's the two is an hour for an hour you're in the studio in front of a live audience the energy is definitely higher um i'm also you know i've got a great relationship with my um my co hosts Michael Simon and Carla Hall where we have a blast and we make each other laugh um all the time and um you know it just I got, it's not that I got tired of fashion but you know after 10 years of giving fashion advice mm-hmm. every single day it was starting to get a little old I was you know I felt like I was repeating myself and I, I don't like to be bored and I don't like to repeat myself so this is a nice um nice change of pace although at this point I'm sort of Running out of ways to make chicken. Interesting. So. <laughs>
2: Welcome to my world, honey.
4: Because,
2: <laughs> as you know, this marks 10 years. So, re- listeners might not know this. Um, I've told the story a thousand times in a bunch of different places, but basically, I went on to what not to wear. My ex husband nominated me. That's not the reason he's my ex husband. I also throw that <laughs> in there. Um, and within two months, I got the biggest promotion of my life and uh, yep. had the confidence to apply for the food writing position that I didn't think anybody would even consider me for, but I thought, screw it, I'll, I'll apply anyway. And uh, and that was ten years ago. And so, basically, the biggest, the most transformative year of my life was probably the year I had my kid. And then the second, the next year, what not to wear happened. And people would always ask me, "Well, how how do well I can't get on the show? I'm not going to get a five thousand dollar makeover." And it's like it's not. It wasn't really about getting $5,000 to go and spend. I mean, I blew through $1,400 in anthropology and had to pay $800 in taxes on the five grand. You know what I mean? Like, And I came back with only yeah. half a wardrobe. But it was the, right. it, the substantial shift that happened was just taking time for myself. Every Mother's Day, I go on a shopping spree for myself. <laughs> it's one way that I kind of every year reinvigorate my wardrobe because it does matter. <laughs> But those are the kinds of changes that you can't learn. Um, You can't, well, in my case, I kind of did learn them overnight. Um, I also learned that I was never going to straighten my hair again.
4: Yeah. Did you actually straighten your hair?
2: No, Nick did straighten it during the the last reveal and it was the only time I cried in the entire yes, episode. Yes, I, rem- I
4: remember that. I don't even remember that's funny because I haven't watched it I I've only watched like, I mean, I don't know why you would everywhere. Clinton, it's okay. <laughs> I never watch myself on TV. That's just a rule that I have about life. Um, but I do remember you saying that you really didn't want to straighten your hair for the show. I, did um, get I didn't it remember cut. that he did it.
2: Well, I got it cut short and that was really nice because I had never had the the guts to really go shorter than what I could put up in a ponytail and they lightened it a little bit and for the second of the three outfits he straightened my hair and it was funny because I just that was the only thing that broke me but it also got me onto Stacey's couch crying and we had this (sighs) wonderful heart to heart of you know what you're different and that's okay and we're not here to make you less different and i think right. we kind of all compromised that like i wouldn't leave the show with straight hair cuz i didn't want anybody thinking that i was going to be straightening my hair from here on out and and so you know right. we washed my hair the curls came back and and i left the show with my head held high and my shoulders back so thank you clinton i know i've told you that yeah. a bunch of times but you really helped me well lot- i'm
4: glad i'm glad to hear that i mean you know the thing is you were strong enough to you know to put up a fight where you felt like it was necessary um, yeah. and i think a lot of people probably left the show not Um, feeling as good about it because they didn't stand up to us or stand Mm -hmm. up to to Nick, you know? So Mm -hmm. bravo, brava to you. Thank you.
3: Uh, Clinton, we were just talking off mic before we started recording about the return of Queer Eye uh, on Netflix. We're we're, we're both watching that now. And it seems like when What Not to Wear uh, was kind of at its peak, there was this sort of uh, reality TV move toward like self-improvement and looking inward. And now we have all these shows about making over houses and, and kind of external stuff. Do you feel like with yep. the chew that you're able to kind of, kind of still dig into that, you know, like how food can, can lead to self-improvement and how food can lead to living better on a personal level?
4: Well, it's funny because, um, that's something that we talk about a lot off camera when we're, when we're doing the chew, you know, like we, it's really important to us that, you know, for all of the, all of the hosts, it was always important to sit down at the dinner table with our families. And that's how we connected to our families. Um, and I, you know, I'm not even I'm not sure that that resonates so much anymore with the viewer. Um, I think that people watch the Chew for some recipe ideas. This is based on the feedback I get. So they watch the Chew for some recipe ideas, how to change up their uh, dinner table a little bit, um, but also just to have a good time. I mean, it's just mostly we're. People are inviting us into their homes every day at one o'clock or noon, depending on you know what time we air in your city. And they just they just want to hang out and have lunch with people that they enjoy. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think that's really what it boils down to. So we, we don't hammer home the message of like food is, you know, food is love so much, mm-hmm. but it's definitely there. There's an undercurrent of that because we all believe it very much.
3: At the very least, food can be a good time. Right
4: yeah exactly you know um and you know that's how people that's it is how people show love you know but we don't really we don't say it so so much you know it's like when you when you're hosting a party you're doing that because you have invited people you love into your home and so we're giving people ideas for that um so but we try to we just try to keep it light
2: and so that's uh kind of where you came into this was with hospitality and entertaining expertise but now you uh, are developing recipes writing cookbooks you are a full-fledged right. food writer now
4: i know i guess I, I guess i am i wasn't it definitely wasn't part of the plan but you know i wrote a book years ago called freaking fabulous and um and my publisher said you just write about whatever you want to write about and at that point i had really gone into this nesting phase with um my husband um he wasn't my husband at the time but we had we bought a house up in connecticut and we just would cook 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 all the time and so we were i was just you know Having a great time in our kitchen, and so I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to include some of my favorite recipes in this book. And because of that, one of the producers at The View, um, who read my book, was like, Oh, Clinton Kelly has some food experience. And so they were looking for somebody who you know wasn't necessarily a chef, who just liked to entertain at home. And I went through this phase where I was like cooking a lot and doing throwing a lot of parties. Um, I haven't really thrown a party <laughs> in, in years because I don't feel like cleaning up after anybody. But <laughs>
2: well, I loved uh, the book you wrote last year, the memoir, but I'm forgetting what it was called
4: um i hate everyone except, except you.
2: you and i yep. i knew that you were yep. saying that exactly to me but it was lovely to get a glimpse <laughs> into your your life and uh what you're up to now what do you do you have any fond memories of austin when you were here either for my show you, you did three um just for that season you did three women all uh within a short period of time from austin including yes. me and then i'm sure you've come on and off over the years but anything you you really love about the city
4: i well i um had some amazing queso i'll never forget that um uh, it was like life-changing queso and um i also went out to some clubs uh and with um stacy's um hair and makeup people and there were gay, gay clubs in austin i can't remember the names of them, but <laughs> that's so fun we had a blast <laughs> i love <laughs> the, the idea hours. of
2: you going out because i'm sure the last time you went to a gay club in new york was probably oh 10 years ago
4: Pro, at least, yeah, we actually did. I actually did go out to a gay club for the first time in t- at about ten years in Miami uh, oh. a couple weekends ago, and I had a blast. I was the oldest guy there by far, which I broke my biggest rule in life, which is when you're the oldest person at the bar, it's time to go home. Um, but I, I stayed anyway; I was having too much fun to, to leave. <laughs> I love that.
3: Uh, well, Clinton, uh, we won't take up any more of your time. We really appreciate you coming on. Uh, is there uh, anything you'd like to say to our listeners about um, yeah, about the Chew or, or where to find some of your work?
4: Um oh you know just have a good stay weird Austin and um, <laughs> yeah you can pick up my book i hate everyone except you i mean it was like it was you know i wrote it like a year ago and it's a good, it's a good time as i talk about porn and um, yeah porn and mud baths and I, I, t- I do talk about my experience hosting what not to wear what that what that was like and what it meant to me so anyway Addie it was great catching up with oh you thank you YouTube, can I
2: ask one parting question from you since you're not of on the course. show and I'm not exactly the prime demographic for Queer Eye where do I go to get fashion advice now
4: oh I don't know there's probably a, a good blog or two that you can follow should I just find a good
2: right in- Instagram account
4: just follow an instagram or somebody who has a <laughs> body type who that's an age similar to yours
5: that's so you know smart.
4: I, it's like yeah. it doesn't help you to follow an instagram who's six feet tall and a size zero you that's know that's just that's not real like find a real real blogger type that you can relate to whose style you like whose body looks like yours and who's generally in the same decade as you
2: that's awesome advice thanks so much Clinton. Okay. we really appreciate it
4: my pleasure have a good day
1: personal style, the unique ingredient that lets the world know who you are? Laurel Kinney thinks so. She talks to us about how to shop for a wardrobe you love, no matter your body type, budget, or your lifestyle. (music) Laurel, welcome to I Love You So Much. Thank
6: you. I'm so happy to be here.
1: Yay. We're happy to have you. Um, so we wanted to bring you in because we're having kind of a fashion episode Yay. and I know Laurel from back in the day listeners. I actually hired Laurel to style me for South by Southwest. A <laughs> yeah. million years ago. A million, ago. million years <laughs> ago. <after>
2: the year. <laughs> oh my
1: gosh. Like maybe
6: like. 2011 when we like thought our outfits at South by
2: Southwest were like <laughs> really important, important really important <laughs> which we <laughs> I think that could be a different part of this discussion though about how Totally. Yeah.
1: Well, it was like my most involved <laughs> South by like I was on a panel and um I was on a panel with, like, a- actually well-known people. Mm-hmm. So I didn't want to look like the one, like, just scruffy rando
2: in the crowd. So The I hired- pressure was on. The pressure. the pressure was on. So do <laughs> most people come to you with some kind of event or special occasion that they need to look good for? You know, surprisingly, they don't
6: usually start out that way well sometimes that's the trigger but usually uh, those things illuminate like a larger problem for Mm -hmm. people Um, usually they're scrambling to figure out what to wear at an event and they're like I actually don't like anything in my closet and they Mm -hmm. have this big identity crisis that ends with them calling me
2: does that also relate to other big changes going on in their lives marriages divorces babies parental deaths oh yeah yeah yeah. Big
6: transitional yeah. thing getting a stylist, I think because when your life changes, you feel like you're different on the inside, and mm-hmm. that your clothes that you've been wearing ha- don't necessarily say the thing same things about you anymore, mm-hmm. and so you kind of want to align
2: mm. You are getting deep already. Wow. No, but this is... Okay, so we just talked with Clinton Kelly, uh, (laughs) uh, and that was exactly what was going on for me during that time. I had had this baby, and it was just a big time of transition, and I was... I never would have thought to hire somebody, pay somebody in addition to buying the clothes. Right. I mean, I couldn't even get myself to the, to the mall to buy the clothes because yeah. I hated that and was intimidated by that process. But um, to hire somebody like you to come and help me, I didn't even know that that was possible. So what does a situa- What does a, a shop look like? Is it over a day? Is it just a couple of hours?
6: I spread it out. So usually I'm meeting with people three times. Um, we start in the closet. We look at all the things they have been wearing and what they love and what they mm-hmm. hate and all the things that they like like but don't wear and we figure out why and we unpack all of that stuff and and I bring an honest eye to the table and I'm like nope can't wear that dated print anymore Mm -hmm. yes let's keep this let's revive this and let's alter that Mm -hmm. and through that process I'm creating a shopping list so that when I do shop I know exactly what I want to look for so that um, there's no like weird redundancy or just off-the-mark selections. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think
1: this all comes down to confidence and security in how you present yourself to the world. But are there some specific challenges, Laurel, that people are trying to overcome? Like, they're single and so they want to, um, like, find someone else to date, or they are transitioning out of being um, a stay-at-home mom and they're going back to the workforce. Like, what are some of the specific kind of, like, images, if that's even the right word, that people are trying to align themselves with and bring you in for assistance?
6: I think that that's a really good question a lot of times it's not clear in the beginning what they're trying to do they just know that what they're they have been doing is not working for them and it's a lot of times a process between me and them like looking at the stuff that has been successful and then what they're kind of attracted to and then me just kind of picking pieces that I see of their personality that I think are inspiring um, to sort of Put attached clothes to, mm-hmm. kind of, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of times it's because they're stepping into a role where they are going to be noticed a lot more. Um, for, just their presence needs to be just kind of a little more strong and put mm-hmm. together. And that's what I hear all the time: is I just want to look more put together. Yeah. Um, so we try to figure out like how that really looks in reality mm-hmm. because. Um, it is a, it's a process. I have to get to know mm-hmm. every person that I work with. And it's
2: also um, different by the city. I mean, you're a stylist oh, yeah. in
6: Austin, which is way different than a stylist in L.A. Yeah, di- yeah, or exactly. New York. I mean, a yeah. lot of times people move here and they're like, what is this style? Yes. Please help me. I'm overdressed, <laughs> right. or but I don't want to wear flip-flops and cargo shorts. So, like, help me find this,
2: like, Austin style. It's yeah. an enigma. So you started, maybe, I don't know if you started out your career as a social worker. Yes. But tell me how that informs what you do now.
6: Um, It really comes in handy, honestly. Um, I feel like when I was a social worker, I was sort of ignoring this whole part of myself that was creative and interested in like making these like interesting connections between like visual stuff and emotional stuff and psychological stuff and like physical stuff. So styling to me is like the perfect m- melding of all of those things. Um, I love helping people um, take something that they'd never really thought about in terms of like showing in in their style and making that seem really easy and helping them sort of embody who they are a little bit more by showing that in the way that they dress. And bridge a psychological challenge via design, yes.
1: which might not always be intuitive. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about some specific mm-hmm. success stories. Um, are there is there anyone who's come to you who really like blew your mind through the
6: process or vice versa? Who you thought like, well, this is a hopeless case <laughs> <laughs> and then it turned out great. <laughs> Woo well, I, I have had a, recently I had a client who was literally like, I just want to be able to leave the house and not feel embarrassed like wow. mortified okay <laughs> and right. it, okay. like he literally had like two pairs of pants and like two shirts and they were all like from Costco and he was like <laughs> wow. ready okay. to all step right. it up and okay. i was like so on board with just figuring all of that out with him um it was really fun and now he's like going to work and people are like asking him to you know give them style advice and But so wow. he got really into the process like, Once,
1: what, what like what did you what actually did you pick out for him did you pick out some like
6: i started with pieces, this was like menswear basics okay 101 and it was like okay so you need some pants that fit you <laughs> right, <laughs> that are right. that are a little nicer than the ones you could find at costco And then, like, you know, dressier sneakers, kind of, that you could, like, potentially wear out on a date, maybe. Like... I feel like a lot of what guys come to me for is like, okay, I want like a woman to like look at me and not think that I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs>
1: that's that's right. And um, do you think that men err on the side of like looser
6: clothing, like, yes. like just
1: like a good fit? Is oh my god,
6: so, kind I've, of rare. With I had men. to take like <laughs> a lot of pleats, pleated pants out of people's closets or like things that are like four sizes too big that they've still been wearing and think that that's what fits. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah.
2: right. Well, that's right. what I found. I mean, just women's weight also fluctuates so much oh, and we 100%. hold on to the same clothes and we keep trying to wear the same outfits and, and I mean, for me, I, I my revive pile gets to be too big. I love yeah. when you were talking about this is the keep pile, this is the get rid of pile but I, I hold on to hope that these clothes are going to make it and, and so how do you... Or re- that chevrons will just like come on <laughs> back <laughs> as a friend. Oh, so one of these days. But how do people keep track? Of 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 these hip prints and I, I I we're inundated with information right now and Instagram is yeah. obviously the place where people are getting their style inspiration but there aren't really as many shows and haven't like television shows like what not to wear, yeah. you know, avenues for people to, I mean, I'm saying this for myself, I don't really know that the chevrons are out of style now. <laughs> oh, you just broke her heart. I, know. <laughs> I mean, no, they could be like
1: <laughs> worn correctly. Isn't I mean, the right God, jacket. It, this is my, my this is my, oh my story God, I'm, I'm literally wearing a workout top and jeans right now. So <laughs> uh, honestly, what do I know? But
2: um, where where do you tell, you know tell people after they've left you and and they are feeling a little bit nervous about being out on their own about how to kind of stay up on what are the latest trends
6: well I usually you can see what's in style every time you try to go shopping Mm -hmm. I mean Mm -hmm. you're surrounded by it in the stores like lately like what's in style has to me been repulsive so I've been (laughs) kind of helping people keep it real classic because Mm -hmm. not everyone wants to wear like off the shoulder like ruffly things Mm -hmm. so Um, I I like to help people figure out like the proportions and the shapes that really flatter their figure so that they can be empowered with at least the knowledge that this is how things should fit me. Mm -hmm. And then they can pick things that they're attracted to every once in a while Mm -hmm. that can keep it fresh Um, taste takes a little longer to develop is that what you're saying
1: (laughs) I'm kind of of intrigued and maybe we'll end here but with the idea of capsule wardrobes or uniforms you know like I, I used to think that was like very limiting but now i think it's actually kind of liberating to it's have just like
6: freeing, yeah. like
1: a sh- like sort of a shape like a go-to outfit shape that mm-hmm. you know you like like tight pants and a loose blouse like mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. and um and just sort of that be your you know your ground zero and then like the prints can change or the colors can change but if you know Mm -hmm. the shape then you're kind of kind of good
6: yeah you kind of get a formula so that you're comfortable with and then you can slowly like build a wardrobe that's like the highest quality pieces in that formula yeah and that can be a really nice way to not feel like guilty about spending money on things that you don't End up wearing, yeah, and it can really help you to kind of focus in on what you really love to wear, yeah. yeah. I love capsule wardrobes for that. Yeah. Okay. Great. Snaps. So interesting. Capsule wardrobes.
2: Laurel, where can our listeners find out more about you, sign up for your services, or uh, stay tuned to what you think is fashionable right now?
6: um dot or at Laurel underscore Kenny on Instagram. Those are the Instagrams where I usually hang out. I'm a stories person, so. me up (laughs) cool well Laurel (laughs) thank you so much for joining us thank you guys for having me it was so fun it went by really fast
2: next week you can sample food from dozens of local food businesses at Taste of Black Austin we asked Tam Hawkins about why they brought this event back for a second year Tam, we just had the best preview of Taste of Black Austin, and I know our listeners are going to be looking forward to this event on February 20th. Can you tell them a little bit about what to expect?
5: Absolutely. Um, in February, we will be able to offer a wonderful snippet of what A Taste of Black Austin looks like. And so the idea behind it was really to elevate and show what Black Austin was doing in culinary arts and showing that there was a breath and a death of artistry that just wasn't being highlighted. And we also wanted to, of course, look at the economic impact that was being made and address the issues of black flight in Austin. So we didn't have the, the the amazing amount of numbers of black restaurants that some of the other larger cities might have, but we certainly did have the quality and we wanted to make certain that others know about that. And, um, and we wanted to also explore the historical context of what black Americans in this city have brought to culinary arts. So the initial one explored... Uh, the culinary arts from eight, the 1860s into present day, and this year we're doing fill to table, so exploring exploring the Black farmer and what his or her uh, impact has been in food.
2: I was amazed to learn that in 1905, there were more Black-owned food, food businesses in Austin than there are today. And so I know that this op- this event is a great opportunity for some of the Black-owned
5: food businesses that are here to showcase what they do. Can you talk about some of the people who will participate? Absolutely. We have uh, DJ, Chef DJ, who's served in some of the best restaurants and, in Austin that have been on the top five, top ten list, and he is actually currently uh, um, can creating an incubator. We have Chef Joy Chevalier, who is one of the brainchild behind a lot of the coordinating, and she has Cook's Nooks, which is an East Austin incubator that really services all kinds, and but uh, really wants to make certain that we make Austin the sustainable food center that we all like to see with diversity and inclusion for everybody. And so there'll be lots of little bites of, of all kinds of different food. Can you tell us where it's going to be, how much tickets are, where people can find more information? So you can go to com, and it's on February the 20th at Peach Tortilla Social House, which also was strategic and purposeful because it's another minority uh, vendor that we chose for that venue. So I really wanted to highlight, again, the diversity that's Austin and be able to celebrate that in a way that matters. So we just had a great sampling of what
2: guests might expect. So some delicious uh, pork belly with collard greens. Oh, my gosh, so much garlic and deliciousness in those collard greens. Um, A Creole cream cheese ice milk on bread pudding and this amazing chicken confit on a crunchy pork rind. So lots of great flavors and textures. But food, although that might be the draw that gets people in the door, there's so much more to this story. What do you wish people in Austin understood about
5: being a black business owner in Austin? that uh, we have death and that we're not monolithic, that I wish that people understood that if you are not happy about having a higher diversity numbers in Austin, that you have to be intentional about your spending. You have to be intentional about your support. You have to be... Uh, black to be serviced by these businesses they're welcoming to all cultures and races Mm -hmm.
2: and so if people wanted to support some of these businesses but maybe they can't attend the event they can go onto the website find I mean we're talking pop-up dinner clubs caterers food trucks trailers private chefs I mean you have a whole bunch of people who are participating who
5: are available for hire and who are selling amazing food all year round Absolutely, our website is an excellent source for businesses of all types, and so that's austindcc.org.
2: Thank you so much, Tam. We appreciate it. Thank you.
3: So, Eric, welcome. Welcome to your own segment. You to to myself.
0: Report. <laughs> yes. Hello.
3: You have come unto yourself. <laughs> I have.
1: So, Lana Del Rey was here playing soccer. Is, well, that, is, that, is that correct? Is that what happened? And
0: music, Tali. And yeah. music. Okay. Mostly music, but we're here today to talk about Lana Del Rey, our lady of the perpetual sway, playing some soccer. So, Lana was uh, playing the Frank Irwin Center mm-hmm. uh, as part of her tour, and over the weekend, apparently she spent a lot of time in Austin. She was also playing other uh, dates in Texas, but she told people at the concert, I wasn't there, but Amanda O'Donnell, a uh, team statesman was our reviewer for that. She wrote a wonderful review, so everyone go to Austin360.com. Check that out. But sure. she, But she reports that, she, that Lana said that she was spending just a whole lot of time in Austin because she just wanted to hang, and uh, part of that was uh, learning how to play soccer with some kids.
1: Wow! Like, how did that come together? Do, do I mean, did her publicist reach out to a local school? Like, what? This is un- this is unclear.
0: So, what we know is uh, the Barcelona uh, Football Club, uh, their lo- local like soccer academy. Uh, they were at Circuit of the Americas, and there is this tweet from them showing Lana Del Rey on the field, kicking around the ball with some kids. And then, if you dig deeper into the Twitter wormhole, you can find some videos that people had pulled of her, like, learning how to bend it like Beckham, as it were, (laughs) with some kids and all kinds of social chatter saying, like, oh, yeah, no, like, my brother's a coach there, and just further photo evidence that she was there. So I'm not quite sure why she was there, but maybe just, you know, doing her little VIP tour around town. You know,
1: I'm here for it. I think that that is actually good for Alana Del Rey's image, who, as we've both discussed, and I think we're all in consensus, is like self-indulgently sulky. Mm-hmm. You know, so just to like, just run around, carefree, dribbling the soccer ball, I think is a great, yeah. wise move.
0: Yeah, the video that I saw on Twitter was actually pretty... Heartwarming and adorable She was interacting With these kids In a very genuine And warm way One might say Because stars They're just like us Is wow. she,
3: she wearing Like soccer gear Or, or like stage garb
0: No she's wearing Like a little puffy down jacket And some leggings But we love A celebrity setting In Austin right Because mm-hmm. part of Austin's vibe Is that we don't Bother celebrities Apparently That's what the That's what our our yeah. Yeah, yeah We just wait a week And then talk about oh, it wait. On a podcast
1: <laughs> Also except for yeah. me I totally saw Coach Taylor At Joe's Coffee And I was like I love your show (laughs) I I, I love you so much.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And and a good plug for the podcast. Yes, 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 it was. Yeah. Well, on Reddit, someone said that they did spot her at Justine's looking for her purse over the weekend. So that is uh, from from the rumor mill.
1: Very on brand. Yes.
0: I would say, yeah, I actually first expected to see chatter that she was at Justine's because that's kind of typically where we see celebrities stopping by. Like they're always at Justine's. I saw Zoe Deschanel at Justine's one time.
1: Right. Yeah. I saw someone from uh, Deadwood and then House of Cards, a a character actor, (laughs) to be sure, because I don't know her name, (laughs) but I saw her at Justine's during East Austin Studio Tour.
0: I think Lady Gaga also. Oh, okay, Great.
1: Wow. Mm -hmm. Just the whole celebrity rainbow. The
3: whole
0: celebrity rainbow. Exactly.
3: (laughs) So uh, so I'm an old person, but I am familiar with Lana Del Rey and I, I really came around on her because I saw her SNL appearance. Back in the day, and it was terrible, yeah, just as bad as people described. But then I started actually listening to her music on Spotify, and I really like her music. Like I'm really into her now, so I I, I got no beef with her.
0: Yeah, no, no beef with Lana. No, if I if I shift into if I shift into music critic gear for a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I would say I've seen Lana perform. Uh, I didn't go to this show, but I saw her at ACL. And I wouldn't say that she has a natural stage presence, but that almost circles back around to being her stage presence is that she's just playing this sort of disaffected. Like she looks like a French New Wave film brought to life. (laughs) Uh, And her music is good. I like her music a lot. Her first album uh, was very interesting in that it kind of played with a lot of traditional like orchestral arrangements but also some like, hip hop beats and she mm-hmm. uses this whole niche Americana uh, you know uh, revival kind of idea to popularly a lot of her lyrics but she gets a little boring for me sometimes, a little one note. But I like that note that she plays. <laughs> yeah, same, same.
3: She's kind of like like uh, like in a David Lynch movie where he'll have a singer come out and sing, and then you never see them again. Like that's her uh, role in my life. Like I'll listen to her a lot for like a day, and then not hear from her for six months. Yeah,
0: if you splice a Lana Del Rey performance clip into like Mulholland Drive, you would never know that <laughs> yes. that was not was was supposed Tor- to be there. Torchy much? Uh, uh, Torchy. Torchy? She's pretty
1: torchy. She's torchy. Yeah, torchy. she's torchy. Oh, okay. All right, all
0: right, all right. Yeah, now very, we understand. Very club silencio. She um, she's okay. hang out of Torchy's.
1: Now we're beyond the point where I understand what Omar and Eric are saying. <laughs> so we're going to wrap up the web report. Eric, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks
0: for having me here, as always. Thanks for coming to Austin, Lana Del Rey.
1: to the moment in our show where we have a toast. This is where we go around the table and talk about things we think you, our listeners, should check out. We are joined by Laurel Kinney, stylist extraordinaire. Uh, But Addie, how about you start us off?
2: So, as you guys know, I am a old lady in a young lady's body. Um, I love quilts, and I really have to recommend the Texas Quilt Museum in LaGrange. Go, go girl. It is a, it's been around for four or five years. It's from the people who run the Houston International Quilt Show, which is the second largest quilt show in the world, second only to Japan. And the caliber of art in quilting today is mind-blowing and it's and I love modern art I'm really all the old stuff took me a while to come around to I came into this from like a, a Mark Rothko style art lover and so the kind of modern quilts that are being made are just spectacular but the Texas Quilt Museum in LaGrange four times a year they change all the quilts and then it's based on the quilts from the Houston show's archives and the Houston I mean they have been treating quilts super seriously for decades and they are the collectors of like Texas's most not only just significant quilts but also the stunning quilts from the 1800s made by anonymous women whose oh names God. will, will wow. never know I, wow. I, I this I remember walking to the quilt museum not long after it opened and there was this cream and orange very mid-century modern quilt hanging on the wall and I'm like Oh, my God, look at how cool this modern art quilt is. And I walk up there, and it was from 1880. Wow. It was so ahead of its time. Anyway, it just really helped open my eyes to this underworld. And um, it's just a beautiful little space. It's halfway between here and Houston. If you're out having a day trip... Go to LaGrange, Swing by the Quilt Museum. Totally doing that.
1: Girl, <laughs> I love that recommendation. That is great. Tali, um, what are you into today? Okay, so speaking of ahead of its time, I'm <laughs> reading some erotica from 1917 <laughs> called Lady Shatterley's Lover <laughs> by D.H. Lawrence. And what's so interesting to me about this book, it's, okay, I was a Victorianist. I was never, you know, once we got to 1900, I checked out. That was a mistake because like, it is such an interesting transition that England is in the middle of right now. Like, They are full throttle Industrial Revolution and mining. And so while people think of this as like a sex novel, that is part of it, and definitely women's liberation is part of it too. But the main character, Constance Shatterley, is actually more interested in environmentalism mm-hmm. and what industry is doing to... Man, and I actually mean like lower case Mm -hmm. man. There, like what it is doing to men, Mm -hmm. and um, she's her refuge is in the woods, and that that's where she, interestingly enough, meets this guy that she starts hooking up with. Okay, I was going (laughs) to say, what does the erotica part
2: come
1: in? Like there is sexy stuff, and like as a Victorianist reading, like still very mannered English, you know, British writing, it is still shocking to me to like read the stuff he says and like whoa like so we are we're awesome. we going there. So would you call it a feminist work? Um okay, I'm actually not sure if I would call it feminist or not. So it is ahead of its time in the fact that he's like trying to get into her psychology and really think about her subjectivity and autonomy. Still, I mean, it is early 1900s British, so he has a lot of proclama- proclamations about mm-hmm. like well, men are this way and mm-hmm. men are this way. And also it's like it's I mean, I'm, racial attitudes are much different mm-hmm. at that time period too. So he'll get through saying this like really profound thing that Constance is feeling, and then he'll, she'll think something totally like off the wall about like the servants, like the servant like, class. Only a you know? hundred years. <laughs> so, so I'm not. I think I would call it proto feminist <laughs> is how I would how I would call it. So it it at least takes seriously the idea of a woman's desire, hmm. which is way more than we could say of like, you know, um any really truly anything going on that, in um, yeah. Victorian literature. So anyway, Lady Shatterly's Lover, I got it at the Austin Downtown Library. Check it out.
6: Ooh. Laurel. So I have been driving to Dallas recently, um, and that's a very long, boring drive. So I have gotten into podcasts, and this one was recommended by a client that I had recently who also is a social worker. Um, So I knew it was going to be a good recommendation because social workers have really dark humor. (laughs) Um, So it's called Terrible Thanks for Asking, and it's about the life of this woman named Nora who's a writer and she lost her husband and her dad and had a baby all within like just a few months of oh God. of it, each other and then she falls in love with a new man soon after has a, has another baby with him and so she has two, she's in love with two men <laughs> basically and has a baby with each of them And it's all about, like, how she is reconciling, like, her grief and her love Mm -hmm. for her dead husband at the same time as this new man that she's in love with. And then, like, how do you, like, raise a small child um, with this dead father present kind of in his life still? And I thought that it was, you know, it was really overwhelming the amount of uh, intense emotional stuff she was going through. But she is very eloquent and hilarious. And so you have some levity at the same time as you're crying. (laughs) Wow. Those kinds of
2: podcasts really put your life into perspective.
6: But let me tell you, you get to Dallas real fast, too. Wow. That
3: (laughs) sounds so
1: great. Okay,
3: Thank you. I recommend it. (laughs) Nice
1: toast, everyone. Well done. That's our show. She's Addie. He's Omar. I'm Tali. Check out the Austin 360 Instagram and Facebook for more about life
2: in Austin. And talk to us on Twitter at loveaustin360. I love you so much. The Austin 360 podcast is produced by Alyssa Vidales. The show is made with support from Features Editor Sharon Chapman and the entire Austin 360 staff. Our theme music is from local band Hardproof, which you should definitely check out at hardproofmusic.com.
3: You can find more about the show and its contributors at austin360.com slash loveaustin360. And if you want to pitch an idea for the show or give us feedback, shoot us a note at loveaustin360 at statesman.com or leave a voicemail at 512-445-3672.
2: This show is brought to you by our sponsor, Lexus of Austin. We couldn't do this show without you, dear listener, and we can't thank you enough for lending us your ears, your comments, and your ragtag weekend jeans. Until next week, we'll see you popping tags at the Westlake Goodwill.